You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. How's everybody doing? Okay. Anybody here ever read someone else's mail? Yeah? I wasn't expecting hands up at that point. By accident? Deliberately? You read your mum's this morning. Wow, that's going right on the tape, so people are going to hear that. I don't know if you've ever read someone else's mail. What we're doing at the moment is we're reading someone else's mail in the Bible. So the book of Galatians, which we're working through over a series of weeks, is in its original form a letter from Paul to a church in modern-day Turkey, a church in Galatia. And really, we're getting a bit of an insight into what he was saying in his post to them. So I'm not encouraging you to read other people's mail, but that's kind of what we're doing this morning. Um, This is chapter 4 we're going to look at today. Um, A little bit of background is that Paul visited this church in modern-day Turkey, and uh, lots of people became Christians. Once he left, he didn't stick around for too long, um, some other teachers came in and started to say, remember what Paul taught you about Jesus and the good news of the gospel? Well, you need to do a little bit extra if you really want to live a holy life. You also need to stick to a whole load of laws. If you've been around the last few weeks, then you'll have heard Pete say that chapter 1 is about Jesus plus Nothing equals everything. And so we don't need to add anything to Jesus to live a holy life. And then Sam spoke on, I guess, how we can relax as Christians. We don't need to be striving. And he brought up on the screen the big word relax. I'm really disappointed he didn't do Frankie Goes to Hollywood and really go and sing that one. Although I'm not planning on singing any songs to you this morning, so that's a bit hypocritical for me to say that. And then last week, Pete looked at chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 4, so if you've got a Bible and you want to get it open, you can do. But I want to start, before we even look at this passage, before we plough straight into some more amazing theology, with a little bit of a warning for us. Don't often hear people say that at the start of a preach. (laughs) When we hear sermon series like this, and I've been in lots of sermon series like this, and we hear great theology, real truth, sometimes we sit back and we say, this is information. We allow us just to take information from a sermon, walk away at the end and say, well, that was helpful. It's a bit like a lesson at school. Jesus is quite clear to some guys that he meets that it's not just about information. The Bible is about transformation. When we come to this passage in Galatians, it's not that we just want to learn a bit more. If you don't learn loads this morning, but, you're, if you, but you allow yourself to be changed and transformed by God and his work speaking through this passage, that's really what it's all about. Transformation, not just information. We're going to see this morning one big metaphor about adoption. Adoption, um, as we'll see in this passage, is a a metaphor that Paul uses that should be transformational for us. It's about how the Father loves us. That should resonate in us, in our core, in our guts, and say, oh, that's amazing. We shouldn't just say, well, that's interesting. When we talk about what Jesus has done on the cross for us to bring us into this adoptive relationship with the Father— That should also resonate in us. I find when people talk about the gospel, when we sing about the gospel, I'm like, oh, there's something going on. It's not just information, it's transformation. And then we're going to end the time um, that we're looking at this passage by asking the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. We're going to have a great time just of seeking God. That is transformation, the Holy Spirit at work in us, not just information. I don't want us to go away downloading information today, but knowing we've met with God, we've been changed. So, are you up for going on that kind of journey this morning? Yeah. Good. Anoshes. <laughs> okay, we're going to read this passage then. So, um, I'm going to start chapter 4, 
Uh, and the words will come from the screen. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Here's where we're really going to land it today. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. Good passage already, no? That's a pretty good one. I'm I'm quite glad I'm getting to preach on this. So this passage, this chapter is quite long. There's other stuff going on. Uh, Paul starts to talk about when he first visited the church and talks about kind of a story from the Old Testament to do with Abraham. I'll be honest with you. I've come to this passage this week and all I've been able to think about is adoption. This one big picture. I've kind of been praying, God, what shall I focus on? I've just got on a loop. You're a son of God. You're a son of God. You are a son of God. You're adopted as a son. I can't get away from it, so we're just going to focus on these verses. If you want to read the rest of it, please do. It's a great whole chapter, but we're just going to pretty much park the bus here. Paul is really, really good at using metaphors. So, you know, sometimes theological concepts are quite difficult for us to get. So Paul's really, really helpful. He's like, I'm just going to make it into one big picture for you. It's like a lesson at school, and I just put a picture on the screen. This picture is that without Jesus and without the good news of the gospel, Paul himself and those that he's writing to in Galatia were spiritually like slaves, like Roman slaves. In contrast, anybody who's put their faith in Jesus by his grace, not because of their godly behavior, they are adopted. They're like Roman adopted sons in that culture. That's the type of relationship they have with God. Now, okay, let's try and get our heads into this room. Imagine that Paul's written this letter. We're reading his mail. And we receive a letter, say, as a church, and I stand up at the front and read it out. Imagine you're in Galatia, you're in Turkey, and the letter from Paul arrives, and it's read out. And it starts to be read out. Actually, in the room probably would be some Roman slaves. This is a Roman colony, Galatia. There might be people there who used to be slaves, but now aren't slaves. But it's something that would be kind of right at the forefront of their mind. This wouldn't be hard for them to imagine. So we need to try and work out if Paul is talking about Roman slavery and Roman adoption, that's a bit different, and we'll look into it, to, say, um, 40 Years a Slave. Anybody seen that film? And you get 17th, 18th, 19th century North American slavery in your head when you see we used to be slaves. That's what you think of, isn't it? We can't help it. You know, we're in the 21st century. And also when we're talking about adoption, we need to again be sitting, imagining we're in the room in Galatia, hearing it as the Galatians would have heard it. It's not when we think of adoption, we think a lot about maybe adopting a baby that goes through a lot of legal procedures and red tape. It's a bit different to that. So what I want us to do when we look at this picture, this is really all we're going to do, just look at this picture, is try and imagine it in the way that the original audience would have heard it. So they're not thinking about 17th, 18th, 19th century North American slavery or current day adoption with lots of forms. They're thinking about Roman slavery and Roman adoption. So, to make this 
practical and a little bit more interesting. This side of the room, you've got the bum deal. I want you guys to imagine that you are Roman slaves. Not the best news in the world, but try and imagine as I'm talking about what Roman slavery was like, that that's what your experience is. We're going to look at what your legal status is and what your kind of relationships are like, what it's practically like to be a slave. This side of the room, much better news. I want you guys to imagine that you are adopted sons in a Roman colony. So there's a father who hasn't got any kids, probably affluent, that's the way it normally was, probably pretty well off, wants an heir, and he adopts you. Adopted sons, Roman slaves. And we're going to contrast the two and just look at it that way. But we do need a head of the house, like a head of the family. So the head of the family would be in charge of the slaves, obviously, but also the head of the family would be adopting the son. So I'm looking around thinking, is there anybody around here who looks like a a head? They've also got to be God later on in the picture. So who are we thinking? Um, Chris. Chris. Chris, would you stand up just for a second? You don't have to stand out the front the whole time. Let's have a round of applause for Chris volunteering. (laughs) Chris, you are the head of the household. We're going to look to you as the head for the rest of today, if that's all right with you. Great. If you sit down, I'm going to refer to you every now and then as the head of the household. As we're trying to get into the cultural kind of situation, you might ask the question, why not daughters, Rich? It's a little bit unfair just saying sons, isn't it? Why don't I say sons and daughters all morning? Well, actually, the truth is that in the culture of the time, the adoption of a daughter just did not have the same meaning. It didn't have the same impact. It wasn't the same effect on a daughter's life. It didn't have the same weight and significance as the adoption of a son. Now, I'm not saying that that culture was right. Paul wasn't. But the picture of a son, you guys are going to be sons being adopted, has that extra weight. So women, if you're here and you're an adopted child of God, you're being bumped up in this sermon. I wouldn't want to say that you've, you, it's like you've been adopted as a Roman daughter because that's a lesser thing. Everybody here is on the same status. Paul even says in the previous chapter, hey guys, there's no male or female under Christ. So hopefully that covers that one off. All right, we're going to look at it in two different categories. We're going to look at for slaves and for Um, sons, we're going to look at the legal reality. What's it like to be a a slave? What's it like to be a son? And the relational reality, we're going to burn through these. So, okay, status. You guys, it's actually genuinely helpful for you to try and understand this because it will, you'll see in the picture in a bit why you can be grateful that you're not like this with God. Your legal status, (coughs) nothing. Absolute lowest. Slaves in Roman culture would not have had any legal rights or legal status. What about your resources? Well, actually, often you would be in debt, which is why you'd end up being slaves. So, so far, not good news for you. You're alone in society, and you're probably in debt. What about your inheritance? Well, it's not the same as North American slavery in that you would have some pay, but you definitely not have any inheritance. You're not looking forward to getting any inheritance. What about your security, legal security? Well, actually, if... Chris, as the head of the household, decides, I want a different slave, you could just be tossed aside. So there's no security in your job, no security in that house. What about relationally? Well, relationally, with the head of the house, with Chris, it's not like he's your friend necessarily, he's your ruler. You've got to stick to certain rules, you've got to behave. What about 
Favor. Have you got favor with anyone? Well, actually, you guys, you are slaves. It's your performance that gets you favor with people. It's all about you doing well. Are you accepted? What about acceptance? Well, there's no guarantee that anybody in the house would accept you. You might be separated from your own birth family and have nobody in the world who accepts you. What about help? Who could you turn to as a slave if you need help? There's nobody really out there. There's nobody speaking for you. Everybody enjoying this so far on this side? Yeah, it's not a great situation. The reality of being a Roman slave is not great. All right, good news for you guys. should see a lot more smiles on this side. You guys are adopted sons. Chris was looking for a son. He couldn't have a son, so he's looked around and said, I choose you. You're going to be adopted into my family in this Roman colony. Status. What status do you have? Well, you guys now have the full status of your father. You are as high up, as affluent as he is in an instant. Your old life is gone, your old status is gone, you've got this new status. What about resources? Well, everything Chris has got, you've got. Every single thing. You are full of resources now. Overnight, the old life is gone, boom. You are adopted, you've got all the resources in the world. And you've got Chris. He's a resource. He's your father. You've got him on your side. All right, what about inheritance? Well, pretty much lavish, complete inheritance from the father. You're a legitimate son. It's not like you're a pretend son. You're real. So you've got all the inheritance of your father. All right, what about security? Well, actually, this is helpful for us looking at the context. A Roman adopted son could never be sold into slavery. If Chris had a natural son, he could sell him into slavery. But you've been adopted. The law says you're not allowed to go back to slavery. That's pretty great for you guys. What about relationships? Well, with the head of the house, it's not that you've got to stick to rules. You're under his care now. You're under his protection. You've got a full relationship with him. What about, are are you guys, have you got favor with your father? Yeah, you have. Not because of your performance, but because he's chosen you. It's because of what he's done. All right. What about acceptance? Well, you're an entirely legitimate son. You're accepted into the family. You're loved. What about help? Well, you've been adopted. He's chosen you. You can stand there quite confident and say, anytime I need help, I've got confidence because of what Chris has done that I can go to him with help. The slaves, you guys, you could be summed up as legally lowly, relationally lonely, always working and fearing judgment with no prospect of relationship with the father of the house. No prospect of relationship with Chris. You guys, good news, you could be summed up as adopted sons, legally elevated, relationally rich, always secure, without fear of having to go back to your old life in full and intimate relationship with the father. I'm sure if you've been around church and the Bible a while, you can see the gospel picture clearly. You can see what a stark contrast, a relationship with God that's like a slave and master and a relationship with God that's like an adopted son in Roman context. You can see that they are total polar opposites. And imagine again that we're sitting in the room in Galatia. We're hearing this letter read out. Paul is urging these guys. He's saying, guys, come back to this model. Come back to the fact that your relationship with God is like adopted sons. Don't go back to this, trying to perform, trying to win acceptance, trying to win favor, trying to earn it. That's a slavery model. That's just not what it's like. 
False teachers have come in and said, you've got to do all these things. And actually, no, you've got to be a son. Is this making some sense? That contrast, the more you understand it in the Roman culture, the more beautiful this picture becomes. So, if you haven't really heard the gospel or the good news of Jesus before, or even if you've heard it before, I'm now going to explain the gospel in each of these statuses, each of these legal reality and relational reality. We, as uh, human beings, have got a legal problem with God and a relational barrier to God as our, in our natural form. So, legally, our status is that, like servants, like slaves, we are under law. We've got to do certain things. But actually, it's even worse than that. We're like failed slaves. We are in a position without Jesus, without the gospel, that we're an enemy of God. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of Jesus redeeming us, actually, he's brought us into the status of a son. The same status as Jesus. That's the gospel in terms of status. What about resources? Well, we go from having a debt, remember these slaves are in debt, to having that fully paid. We owe God a debt. We can't ever pay it back. But this passage says God, Jesus redeems us. He pays that debt. So now we sit, we sit here today and these Christians in Galatia sat with no debt. No debt to God. Able to be, in terms of status, a legal reality, close to him. What about inheritance? Well, before we knew God or without God, there's no guarantee of any inheritance. But with God, we inherit eternal life. We inherit the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us. It's beautiful. That's what Jesus has done. In terms of security, the gospel says it's like going from a slave to being a slave adopted into a family. You could never be sold back. God is never going to let you go back to your old way of having to just keep laws, having to be held up against the Old Testament law to try and be perfect. That's the gospel. And even more beautifully, relationally, with God, with the head, with Chris, if you like, you look at it and you say, before, without Jesus, relationally, we had no prospect. We had no way to make relationship with God the Father. But... Because we've been adopted, because of what Jesus has done to rescue us, to set us free, actually, our relationship with God is full. It's total. It's the relationship that Jesus had with his Father. That's where we sit now. Favor. We have God's favor. We're like sons with the favor of God. Why? Is it because we've done anything? Is it? No. It's just like the, the picture of a slave being adopted into a family. It's because of the act of the father that we've got his favor, not because of what we've done. There's nothing we could do to get it or to lose it. Acceptance. The gospel says that unlike a slave-master relationship, we have full acceptance as a son, as children of God. And finally, help. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm at my wit's end. You might be thinking, do you know what? I've not got enough to get through this week. I don't have it in me to get through my life on my own steam. That's good. You're a son. You've got the full resources of the king of heaven on your side. Unlike a slave who could never come to a master and ask for something, you're like a son in God's family. You can confidently say, I'll come to you for help. I'll come to you whenever I need you. Okay. 
Now, I want to take us right back to what I started with. Paul is not giving us this as information. This isn't in the Bible just as a lesson. What is the key word? This is here for our transformation. This isn't just here so that we go away and say, well, that was a nice little object lesson. That's a nice metaphor. Fantastic. No. God wants this not just to be theory, but to be reality. God doesn't want us to sit and take this and let it just wash over us. He wants this to be personally accepted, known, received in our hearts. And that's why we're going to spend some time asking the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Matthew Henry says this. Matthew Henry is a a commentator on the Bible. He's written a great commentary on the Bible, if you want to get hold of it. He says, May the temper and conduct of sons ever show our adoption. What he means is, as Christians, we should live in a way that our temper, as in our personality, our character, and our actions, our conduct, shows that we are adopted. Not slaves rushing around to try and do stuff, but adopted our conduct people look and say he looks like he's accepted by god like he's favored by god that he's confident he can go to god for help paul is going to this church and saying running around trying to earn favor shows more of a slavery temper and conduct than an adoption temper and conduct so let me land this for you let me ask you this question Pretend you're not in a sermon. It's just you sitting here and I'm asking you this question. Looking back over the last few weeks of your life, maybe the last few months, do you look at your conduct, the way you've lived your life? Do you look at your temper, your character and how you are? And do you see more adoption or more slavery? When I ask you, are you close to God? Do you immediately think, what have I done? I haven't done this. I haven't read my Bible. Or do you think, I have done this. I've done these things wrong, so I've lost God's favor. I'm outside of his acceptance. Does your temper, does your deep down aside, do you say, well, actually, I haven't done this? Do you get what I'm asking? As you look over the last few weeks and as you analyze your relationship with God, honestly, do you see more of an adoption heart or more of a slavery heart? Because it's easy, and these guys in Galatia have got it, to fall back into a way of thinking that is I've got to do and not that I am a son. With the resources of heaven, the inheritance of a great father, the security, acceptance, favor of God on my life. Now, you might notice in the last few weeks the kind of application points, the kind of go-away point in these sermons has been you don't need to do anything. Is anybody else here a little bit of a doer? So you're like, oh... Okay, can you not give me like five points of how to do this? Can you not give me like a 10-point little booklet that tells me what to do? This morning, if you want to become more and more living out of a heart of adoption, of resting in what God has done for you, and not such a state of I've got to do or I feel out of the favor of God or I feel far from God because of my life. If you want to get there, Paul actually does indicate an answer something for us to do. Now, it's nothing to do with us earning our salvation, that's for sure. But he says this, because 
It says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And he says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. What we can do is we can cooperate with and encourage and ask for the Holy Spirit to bear witness in our lives that we are sons of God. One more example from Rome. You're in Rome and you turn up. You say you're in Galatia and you turn up and there's an adoption ceremony happening. Chris, the father, will be standing there saying, yes, I want to adopt a son. A son, maybe a slave or somebody who's going to be adopted, would say, yes, I want to be adopted. There's one other person. There's one other factor in that scenario. A witness. Somebody else stands and says, yes, I've seen this to be true. And if anybody wants to doubt it in the future, if it's anybody's word against another, this witness is going to say, I was there, I saw it, he's a son. The father adopted this son and I was there. You might be here this morning and you want to know again that you're a son of God. You want to be living your life out of sonship. Paul says it's the Holy Spirit that is like that witness in our lives. Saying to us, yes, you are a son. Prompting us, you've got a father. The father has not adopted you and left you alone. Instead, part of our inheritance and the resources that we have as adopted children of God is this. That God comes to live inside of us. To develop adoption characteristics, to develop a heart of adoption so that we can be sure that we're adopted. And then the last thing before we pray is that we read in two passages that Paul's talking about this. The the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing adoption to us is this phrase, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is a word that Jesus used. It's Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. The disciples, we read in Mark, kind of overheard Jesus praying, and he was saying, Abba, Father. Abba kind of means dad. That's the closest we've got in English, but it's different to that. So it's like you saying to Chris, Daddy, but in a respectful way as well. It's really intimate, but it's also respectful. Daddy is just kind of intimate in our culture, isn't it? But Abba, it's like a baby's cry. Dad, Dada, Abba. Do you feel like you are able just to say Dad to God? Do you feel like that's something you often do when you're stuck? Do you feel like when somebody says, well, you're not as much of a Christian as this person, or you say that to yourself, I'm comparing myself. Do you hear that cry in your heart? Yeah, but Abba, Daddy. It's about what he's done. It's about my father, my status, my security, my acceptance, my favor, my inheritance, my resources are to do with Abba, to do with my dad. In reality, I have found in my life that the Holy Spirit living inside of me prompts me, reminds me. He suggests this prayer. He educates me. He leads me to relate to God as a dad. The more I cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, the more I'm likely to see him, see God as a father, the less I'm likely to see him as a master. I've got one last quote from Spurgeon, and then we're going to spend some time praying. 
Charles Spurgeon, amazing guy to quote. He always comes out with this stuff. His language is a little bit old, which is fair enough. He's from a long time ago. He says, Sonship sealed by the indwelling spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, brings us peace and joy. It leads to nearness to God and fellowship with him. It, that is the, us being filled with the spirit, excites trust, love, and vehement desire and creates in us reverence, obedience, and actual likeness to God. All this and much more because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. Oh, matchless mystery. I don't normally preach saying, oh, matchless mystery, but that's the truth. And when we hear next week from Galatians 5, we see more and more that Paul is saying, be in in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in your life. Asking, God, come and fill me with your spirit. Saying to God living inside you, speak to me. I want to draw from you. That is the answer to a godly life. That is how we live a holy life. Is in cooperation with God's work in us. Wanting to obey our loving Father. Rather than having to try and stick to legalism and rules. So, do you want to know on a heart level that God accepts you? Do you sometimes feel like a message like this is general, it's for other people, but not for me? Do you want to know that it is personally for you? That God wants a unique relationship with you? He personally knows and loves you. Do you want to know that again today or for the first time? Are you sitting here thinking, I've heard this kind of message countless times. I've been in this kind of sermon before. I've had a filling with the Holy Spirit before. I kind of know God's my dad. Do you want to know for a fresh experience this morning? Do you want to know on a transformation level, God is my Father, and that changes everything about my life? Are you up for taking this message, this big picture, from information to transformation this morning? And standing with me in a minute and saying, God, by your Holy Spirit, Will you come and show me this again? God, where I am trying and striving, will you show me your heart again? God, where I've fallen back into slavery, just trying to do, would you show me your adoption again? Are you guys up for that? For knowing the transformative work of the Holy Spirit? Oh, matchless mystery this morning. Why don't we stand up together and I'll pray for us. Sam, maybe you could come out and play in the background. Okay, we've left plenty of time for this, deliberately so that we can really dwell on God, really draw from God. I'm just going to ask one question first and then we'll pray for all of us. If you have never um, had anybody talk to you about the Holy Spirit before, if you're not sure that you've ever had an experience of the Holy Spirit before, if you would like to know more about what it is to know the Holy Spirit filling you, being in you. If you'd like to know more about that, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for all of us to know the filling of the Holy Spirit, to know God close. But if you would like to ask me some questions afterwards and maybe get prayer, then when we finish about 12, about 5 past, please come and find me. I would love to personally pray for you that you would know the filling of the Holy Spirit. Don't feel like... um, Don't feel like we're just saying this and you've got to know all the answers. We'd love to talk to you more about it if that's the case.
But why don't we all just come to God now? Normally I find it's helpful to close my eyes so I don't end up looking around at other people. I can just focus on God, but that's not the magic ingredient. You don't have to close your eyes to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in the, in the next little bit of chapter 4 that we're to know God, but as much to be known by God. God wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you, like a father, as a father to you. Feelings that you have at the moment of, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough, or I've done these things wrong. Or God isn't showing me his favor. Or God isn't helping me in my situation. God wants you to know this morning he's a loving father who's chosen to personally bring you into his family into relationship with him but he believe me he doesn't just want you to hear those words he wants to come and speak it to you in your heart he wants to come and show you it on a core level by filling you again with his spirit To bring this heartbeat out of you. Like a cry that he's saying himself. Abba. Father. Dad. Daddy. There is literally nobody in this room for whom God wants a slave-master relationship. Every single one of you, he wants a full father-adopted-son relationship. So just come now to the Father. Clear everything else out of your mind. And repeat this prayer after me if you just want to be filled again with the Spirit and know the Spirit witnessing your adoption in your heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would show me again my sonship. God, I ask that you would visit me now. That you would show me again your Father's heart. just leave it I'm not going to say anything for another few minutes you just let yourself come to the feet of a good father let yourself hear that Abba father out of your heart again daddy I need you daddy I love you Abba you're all I need come back to that 